Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One two, one two, one two, one two, yeah, two 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 two, two two. No, I was just seeing if they worked with mine in. One two two two. One two two. I haven't got. See if they work with those on. Mm. <laughs> one. Let's see. I've got that. Yeah, that's you good. Yourself there. That's very radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. All right. But but you're not going to be able to hear yourself, no, are you? Because these will plug into the front. Ah, where there's a will. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll One, two, one, there two. Go, yeah, go. so basically it's his, his headphones that he's lent me. Okay. I knackered. Yes, okay. But you're good, and it yeah, is, it's very yeah. radio, isn't it? It's very radio, yeah. <laughs> so my my good friend Dean is in your band. No way! Yeah. Oh, we love Dean. He is one of the, until you get to know him, you it's might not see it, fantastic. but he is one of the funniest, yeah. driest, yeah. He's just a real character. I love him. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's a, great. He's been such, such an asset to the band as well. I mean, not only is he a great player, but uh, he, he plays, uh, um, he's so quick at learning, but he also, he, he, he fits into the, 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 the dynamic of the band, you know. He's not, he's not got a big ego and he's not too 
you know, oh, I, I want to do this and I want to do that. It'll just sort of go with the flow and uh, chill out, you know, keep everybody kind of, you know, joking, but um, but but relaxed. You know, he's he's not one for getting uptight and all that. But he is he is a great. Uh, I, I mean, he, I think he could join any band. You know, if 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 Green Day wanted a bass player, it'd be great for them. If Guns N' Roses wanted a bass player, uh, <laughs> I think he's that good. He is that good musically, and as you say, like I've had quite a few session musicians and kind of guns for hire on this show, and as well as being musically adept and, and skilled, yeah. personality-wise, you also, as you pointed yes. out there, you need to be able to slot into yes. to the dynamic, whatever that dynamic might be. He, he is the best bass player we've ever had, and he's the best backing singer we've ever had. Really? Yeah, and, and one of the nicest guys you could meet. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'll make sure he hears this, so okay. he hears the uh, <laughs> the compliment straight yeah, yeah. from the horse's mouth. Yeah, yeah. He, he is just great. We all, we all really, really like him. He was going to leave um, last year, uh, but, you know, things happened, and then he, he got back into it, and uh, he joined another band and stuff, and it didn't work out, whatever. But uh, he, he's back on board now, although, unfortunately, none of us can play, can we? You know, we're all well, stuck. I'm doing a Halloween show in here in a couple of weeks, oh, okay. and I, I was going to have Dean a, a part of it, and I said, do you think Diamond Head would do, like, Am I Evil? As a special track for it, and he was like, "Well, the problem is, is our drummers in France." So. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen. You can't and be doing singer, acoustic diamond head. <laughs> singer lives in London, so right, so right. it's all it's ex- expensive and complicated. Have you ever tried to do your material in an acoustic format, and yeah. has, has it worked? We did uh, in two thousand. We did about ten gigs where it was just myself, the, the singer Sean, and this guy called Floyd Brennan, who played acoustic guitar as well, and we did. UK gigs, it was okay. We did probably 45 minutes or so, and uh, we did an EP as well. But um, I miss the electric guitar. Uh, I miss the sustain and the power, and I couldn't wait, in a way, to get back to uh, to doing an electric band. Oh, can you... <laughs> yeah, there's someone on the roof. I was oh, like, okay. there's going to be someone on the roof, is there? I was like, you know, we kind of booked the studio space for it to be quiet. But yeah. <laughs> to be honest, Brian, it's just nice doing this face to face and a bit of background noise like that yeah. shouldn't hinder us too much. It's, I thought it was me rubbing <laughs> my leg on the, on the table. But uh, no. So did you did you and Sean like go to school together? Did you grow up together? Were you friends from uh, when you were young lads? How did you two meet? We were friends uh, from about the age of six or seven, um, but we weren't close friends. He came around my house, I remember. We all, we went to the same schools, junior, infant and senior. In Stourbridge. In, in Stourbridge. In Wollaston as well, um, which is a, you know, a little village outside Stourbridge. But um, we weren't close. We, we were just acquaintances. And as I say, he did come around my house a few times and we'd, we'd climb... We've got a big tree in our garden. He'd climb up the tree and jump out the tree. And so that was a bit of fun. And then, I, uh, you know, I was more friendly with the drummer, Duncan Scott. Um, so I probably knew Duncan from about the age of 11. And Colin from about the age of, I don't know, seven or eight. And uh, So that original four-piece, you yeah. really were like neighbourhood childhood. It was fantastic for that respect. And yeah. I always think uh, if we'd had any falling out... Uh, we'd done that in in our childhood and teens yeah. rather than you know just four musicians getting together and then 
then you decide if you you all get on. We'd probably, you know, ironed out a lot of the uh, friendship, you know, things uh, very early on. Uh, so that so it was great for that, and we were a real team, really close. Uh, and it, so anyway, I sort of got much friendly with Sean once I realised he could sing, and a friend rec- uh, recommended him. He said, "Oh, I, you know, I'd said I need I need a singer because I'm doing a band." And he said, "I know a chap who can sing. Sean Harris can sing. I heard him sing on this coach trip." And uh, what, just on the coach, on the coach. Yeah, I think he <laughs> just it. burst into Bebopalula apparently, <laughs> and. Uh, I thought, okay, I know Sean. So I probably just went up to Sean and go, can you sing then? Because I've got a group, you know, a band. And he'd probably say, yeah, I can sing, I'll come and sing. And, and that was ever so innocent. He'd just come round my house and I got the acoustic guitar and he made up a song. And I thought, yeah, he's great. That's it. That was the way it seemed to be back then when you watch, whether it's a documentary or a kind of fictitious account in a film, it just seems to be, even with the the Beatles and the bands that were the biggest of all time, it seemed to start in that way, like local neighbourhood lads with a passion for this thing and it's all very just naive and innocent and the next thing you know... You're writing like, songs that like a U two, yeah. just just an advert in school. You know, drummer seeks uh, singer, guitarist, bass player, and and it, it's an organic. You know, um, it's something very in. Um, what's the word? Uh, just something really nice about it, and uh, rather than it's uh, you know here we it's, we'll nick that guy out of this band and blah blah blah. So, so maybe it, it takes a while to to find your sound and your style. But that does seem to be a good way to to form a band and uh, to to come up with something new and unique. I think it's the personalities and the the, the four guys that that make that band original. A hundred percent, and that chemistry and the interplay and the range of influences coming yes. together as yes. one new thing. Absolutely, because nothing's new, is it? No, no, new, no, no. But no. if you but if you get four existing styles, put them together. That's going to be unique and new yes. to that project. Yes, absolutely. And like you say, if everybody's got different influences and they will bring it to the pot, uh, eventually you just arrive at this new thing yeah, mm. that's, that's just your band. You, it sounds like you. and uh, we, what, we had that. What was the first song that you guys wrote where you discovered that you had a voice oh. and it was unique and distinct and your own and you felt like you were onto something special. I can't remember that moment. No. No. We did write from day one and, and the the early songs are all very, very simple. We used to call them like a, a dirge. One you know, one guitar do 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 uh and uh I think we were just constantly trying to get better and better and we and we record everything onto a cassette and uh, analyse the cassette and think, you know, yeah, that bit's good or that bit's not very good. And we got better and better at doing it. Uh, 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 it's Electric was was about song number 45, I think, because I kept this list of it as we wrote everything. So, How, how many songs were you writing a week at uh, that time, roughly? Uh, maybe one or two. Wow. But from 76 till our first album in 1980 is four years so if we'd written one or two a week you know i think we written we'd written about a hundred songs by the time we went into the studio to record our debut album which is a lot of songs and most bands don't do that they'll they'll write maybe just the album yeah one or two extras and i always think now keep write loads more you know well, why would you more stop choice. Yeah. especially if you think that everything you've already done say you do 10 songs that you're like these are great why would you then just go that'll do it's yeah. like yeah. keep it flowing keep, keep it going. going yeah 
Yeah, so we had, you know, years to, A, learn the craft, and B, come up with a, a, a good collection of songs. And, and then we started playing more gigs in, in 79. So I think we did about between 10 and 20 gigs in 1979. So we'd been then playing those songs live, and that really uh, ironed out, you know, any problems. And if this song didn't work, it would go. And we'd, we, we'd whittled it down to our best uh, seven songs by the time it came to record Lightning to the Nations. I guess when you're playing quite, you know, rich, long songs live as well, you can see which parts connect with the audience. So yeah. you can almost refine them from the experience of the reaction that they yes. they get from a live audience. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I've said it before, but we, we soon realised that slow songs didn't really go over very well live. It's yeah. just got a bit boring. So we gravitated towards faster songs because uh, it, it seemed to whip the crowd up. And uh, so we got into doing that. Once we'd written songs like Helpless and The Prince, uh, we realised... You know, this is great. This works really well live. It's exciting. And that, I guess, is like, you know, um, necessity is the mother of invention, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You're saying, like, that the crowds went wild when we played the hard, fast stuff, so, of course, we're going to lean yeah. towards that. Next that, thing you know, that's a new style. That's They chose the uh, the set <laughs> for us, in a way, didn't they? Because we'd say, oh, that one didn't work. We won't do that one again. And they would go literally in the bin, you know. I'd probably got cassettes of, of a lot of them. Uh, but yeah, it, it became obvious which was the, the best songs. What was going on for you musically in the Midlands at that time? Um, obviously, you've got Sabbath and Priest and bands mm -hmm. like that. Um, were they people that you knew in any way on a personal level early on, or had they already taken off and, and, yeah. and left Birmingham by the, the time you guys started? I didn't out? know any of them. Uh, Did uh, they uh, leave Ro their mark on the scene, though? Well, here? Robert Plant was our local hero because right. he went to school in Starbridge he went to King Edward's grammar school so and we'd seen him around you know we'd see him in the chemist or in the in uh, we, we he did this charity thing at a garden center and we went and got his autograph and things like that so he was our local hero so the fact that he was from the Midlands was quite exciting uh, but yep Sabbath and priest we really looked up to and thought, you know, they've done it. They come from the Midlands. We could do the same. They're, they're Birmingham bands, Midlands bands. Uh, uh, so, so, yeah, that was really influential to us. But we didn't know any of them. Uh, you know, uh, they were all sort of much, much higher. They'd got record deals. So uh, we'd go and see them when they, whenever they came to Birmingham and they would play Birmingham Odeon. And... Uh, We'd got to be there in the audience thinking, oh, well, you know, great. It was great to see, you know, like, priests when they did Exciter. And and, uh, and I saw Sabbath. My brother took me to see Black Sabbath when I was 14 at Birmingham Odeon on the Sabbath Bloody Sabbath tour. So that that probably had a massive effect on, on, on me as a as a teenager, you know, when you're soaking up all these influences. But And what were the other bands musically that helped set the template for the sound which you would develop? Uh I'd say there's a lot of bands. For me, the 70s is the greatest decade for uh, music, uh, not just rock. So I'd be soaking in. I've, I, I liked a bit of Prague. I would be listening to Genesis and Gentle Giant. Uh, and I, I liked Emerson, Lake and Palmer, but I went off them once I learned to play the guitar. So I'd, I'd, there'd be Deep Purple, there'd be Free and Rush and Van Halen and uh, UFO. ACDC and uh, 
I'd go and see these bands as they came through the Midlands, uh, Rainbow, for example. Uh, and, and then, of course, when the new wave happened, the new wave of heavy metal in 79, I'd start going to see those bands as well. Iron Maiden came through and Samson and uh, Angel Witch and you name it. Uh, so that was another level of, of excitement because they, these all seemed the same age as us and we thought, well, we, we're as good as these, a lot of these bands. So that opened up possibility for, that we could get a deal as well. It, it, it didn't seem like beyond the realms of possibility that Diamond Head could get signed, you know, from this little bedroom garage band. We could suddenly maybe actually play the Birmingham Odeon one day, you know. Well, every band has to start somewhere, no matter which one, right? Yeah. I want to ask you as well, musically perhaps not, but in terms of that idea that you can do it too, you can do it yourself. Did punk rock have an influence and an inspiration on you in that sense that like these are just young teenage kids grabbing the bull by the horn and and getting it done on their own terms, making yeah, it happen DIY? Absolutely, absolutely. Put your own record out, promote your own gig, make your own posters. We did all that. Uh, definitely punk rock had a big influence on, on probably the whole of the British music scene, uh, uh, but on us, that that it just felt like, okay, go, let's not wait. You know, I, I do remember thinking uh, before punk that, you know, you've got to practice your guitar forever and become as good as Richie Blackmore before you even set foot out the house. And then, <laughs> and then once I'd seen Steve Jones, probably in 76, 77, I thought, ooh, I can do that. You know, and I'd listen to the John Peel uh, show on, on a on a weekday night and, and listen to these punk bands. And I liked the energy and the speed. Uh, and, and that rubbed off the simplicity, the energy. And, and probably then I, I would just combine that with what I'd already grown up to love, the, with the classic, the Black Sabbaths and, and those bands. And, and so there's a bit of a blend of, of two styles. And that, you know, that did rub off on Diamond Head. Motorhead were a great band for that, weren't they? They yeah. seemed to be the band that brought together the heavy metal headbangers and the punk kids yeah. and, and the rockers and the bikers. And Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, they definitely uh, crossed over, really. They had a huge audience. Uh, th they were very lucky in that respect. Everybody just seemed to get the Motorhead thing, didn't they? They had a great image and uh, they'd be on top of the pops and they looked cool and the double kick and... It was a kind of, uh, you know, rock and roll attitude as well. I think people bought into that, didn't they? The, 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 the don't care, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do it our way kind of thing. Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't think Diamond Head were, were similar to Motorhead in that respect, but uh, we probably wanted to be Led Zeppelin, you know. We probably, we wanted to be the greatest band in the world, really. Uh, not just like, you know... Big, big around the Midlands or anything, or good for around here, which we used to say. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely. Um, oh, I forgot the point, but <laughs> the point is just to let the conversation go where it goes. Brian, let me ask you this: um, You said like Sean was uh, an impressive talent as a vocalist when yeah. you first met him. What was it like when it came time to to writing with him and collaborating with him on a personal level? What did he bring to the table that 
Yeah, uh, elevated. A fantastic the... writer to, to to for me uh, to work with. Uh, we got on really, really well, and from day one, we were we were off writing our own songs. It, I I used to think we weren't very good at doing covers. We'd we'd have a go, and it didn't sound particularly good. And and so we gravitated to be to writing our own, uh, and. I would come up with a riff and almost instantly Sean would start singing on top of it, making up words. Uh, and we'd say, okay, that could be the verse. And then what about if we do that for the, for the chorus? And instantly like that, it, it, it came together. Uh, so it, it, we were a very good foil for each other. Um, Did you gel on a personal level? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, I've spent a lot of time, years and years, of, uh, with Sean, over probably 25 years of my life, and uh, we'd be sat in cars, driving to, you know, Aberdeen. and um, So, yeah, I spent a lot of time, and we never really fell out. Uh, I think we had so much in common uh, that we could always talk, and we'd, you know, talk all day about music and uh, things we liked. Uh, so, I mean, you know, eventually we drifted apart and uh, it, it, it became unworkable. But, um, yeah, uh, uh, we did really work as a, as a team, as a songwriting team. Uh, I think we had some special kind of, you know, magic almost. It seemed like there was, just from reading the history, particularly early on, it seemed like there was a lot of perhaps bad decisions made in uh, terms of a business sense. Like I think would so. Would you say that's safe to say? Yes, I think that's safe to say. I think uh, was, that, was that frustrating at the time? Uh, it was fr- what one of the most frustrating times was when um, around 1980-81, when we'd made the record, "Lightning to the Nations." We'd made that that was done around May 1980. I think uh, we'd got management. But there were amateur management, am, amateurs. It was Sean's mum, right? Yes, but uh, I mean, it's a little complicated because we also had two guys called Dave Morris and um, Ian Fraser, who were just kind of local guys. Ian Fraser actually went to school with with us. He was a school friend. And then there's this guy, a friend of his, uh, and, and they were trying to pull us sort of to get us to sign a deal and this, that, the other. And then you'd have... Sean's mom and Reg uh, sort of say, "No, you don't want to do that. You want to do this," and 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 it became a bit of a conflict uh, to the point where Dave Morris and Ian Fraser quit and thought, "Right, forget it. Then we're not we're we're, we're out of here." Because they couldn't get on the same page as a management team. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and so they abandoned us to uh, to let Sean's mom and Reg take over. Uh, and they, I think they were unrealistic. They probably thought Diamond Head is the greatest band of all time, and, and so we should be treated that way. So instead of uh, accepting maybe uh, the deals that were being offered, they were saying, no, we're not doing that. We want a five-album deal. We want loads of money. We want to do this, do that. Uh, and uh, it didn't quite work that way. I mean, for a start, the, the album... Uh, it, it was a strange, all that is very strange because we went to the studio um, and we we weren't signed. So Reg had done this handshake deal with the studio owner that he could have half the publishing if we could have a week in his studio. So he gave away 50% of our publishing for 15 years. 
so that we could have a week in his studio. So what we ended up with was the tapes for Lightning to the Nations. Then he took those to labels, and the labels didn't want to sign the band because I think I, they probably didn't know what what's going on with the management because who are these people come down from the Midlands? And also, I think a label likes to get involved with the artists. They like to say, right, you know, we'll use this studio, we'll, that producer, and uh, this can be the single and all that. Not just be given two stereotypes and say, here's the album, you know, give us a load of money. Am I right in thinking those tapes went missing? They did go missing. Well, yeah. yeah, in Germany or something. Was something it? like that, yeah. Reg eventually... <laughs> I suppose as a bid to try and make some money back, uh, because it, at one point he was putting money into the band, and I think he bought like a van and and a PA and things like that. So in, in a bid to get some money back, he uh, sent the tapes to this label in Germany called Wolf Records, and they pressed a thousand copies or something, uh, and probably sold them, and, and in return would have paid Reg maybe two thousand pound as an advance or something, and but never sent the tapes back. And uh, apparently never read, he never sent any statements or royalties or anything. Just uh, We just thought, what happened to that, that album then, you know? Uh, and it wasn't until Lars Ulrich got <laughs> involved because uh, Lars Ulrich and Jeff Barton put together an album called The New Wave of British Heavy Metal Revisited, like as a 20th anniversary, something like that. And uh, Like a compilation of... Yeah. The, yeah. So he, he phoned me and said, where's the tapes can we can we take a couple of tracks from the and i said well i haven't got them you know, <laughs> as far as i know and i told him this little story yeah so he then got onto uh, a guy at, at phonogram in germany and said go and get the tapes from this guy at wolf records and and apparently that's what happened he went around his house and knocked on the door and said i've come you know i'm here on behalf of blah 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 and we want the Diamond Dead album, you know. And apparently, just went in the house and found it and gave it to him. <laughs> and then, it's stupid, isn't it? Did, did, did you eventually get them yeah. back? Yeah, now you have. Yeah, them. they were then have been sent to be mastered, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, and then Lars made sure that I got them back, uh, which is very nice. So I, they've been in my, you know, safe. Uh, hands <laughs> ever since that's a, what a great story <laughs> and one of many great stories i'm sure because it's you know it's fascinating to me and i'm sure you get asked about metallica and that connection all the time um and i guess it could be easy to feel resentful of that if you were a bitter person but i think that everything i've gathered from hearing you in interviews and, and seeing and hearing lars in interviews is there's real love and respect that flows both ways there uh, Yes, that's nicely put, actually. I think that's very true. Uh, I respect the fact that, you know, they I covered them in the first place when they didn't have to, did they? A lot of bands don't really do covers. You know, ACDC don't really do covers or Black Sabbath. Uh, and if they do, they they often don't take the time to really switch on the audience to the original artists yes. behind those songs, do they? And, and Metallica did them. just that. Mm. Yes, they, they, they wore it on their sleeve, didn't they? We were... You know, influenced by Diamond and Motorhead, etc. Uh, so, but I, th- I mean, I do think there's a fair bit of luck involved. Um, but then again, you could argue, well, you had to write a good song in the first place for, for Metallica to even look at it and think, right, we should cover that. Uh, but to be covered by the biggest heavy metal band of all time and have four songs covered is, in my opinion, a stroke of luck. 
And uh, so the royalties from that have um, been, you know, a lifesaver to myself and Sean for 30 years. Have they, would you say in no uncertain terms, if you want to, if it is true, would you say that that has allowed this band to continue to to do what it does? Pretty much, I think so. I, I may not have had the interest in the band that I have without that, without Metallica and the, the sort of uh, influential thing that, that it brought. Uh, and um, the kudos, you know, Metallica name-checked Diamond Head hundreds of times. And uh, they still play Am I Evil. Uh, apparently they've played it over 750 times live. So they, they've spread the word places Diamond Head have never been all over to, that there's this great band and there's this great song so if you live in you know Arizona or something you probably know at least one Diamond Head song thanks to Metallica and and numerous times I've had people say I got I, you know I hope you don't mind but I, I got into you guys through Metallica <laughs> I mean could you Not even could you even put a guess on how many times you've heard that uh, no, a hundred Hun- yeah. literally yeah and I just think that's yeah, fine as long as you got there in the first place in right. the end rather yeah. yeah no it's it's all it's all good for, for me I, I'm uh, eternally grateful I I saw a beautiful moment at Download Festival one year and my friend invited me into the the sound desk area before Metallica um, I guess because he's friends with that guy, Big Mick. Big Mick, who does that sound. The legend. So, also from Birmingham. Yeah. So, I'm in this little sound booth and I'm chatting away and I see you and your son just kind of by, by the barrier in the crowd. Yeah, I remember that. And someone spots you and they go, hey, there's Brian, go and get him and, and bring him. And I don't think you were there to be like, hey, bring me over. Do you know what no, I mean? You no, were just no. there with your son getting ready to watch the show and they, they recognise you, pulled you over and brought you in and... I just thought that was such a beautiful, again, mutual, respectful moment where they did right by you and looked after you. Yes, because they, they did. They wanted to see you and well, I, hang I, out. Apparently, I'd got the wrong pass because right. I'd got there. You know, Lars had sorted out passes. But when we got there uh, and we tried to get backstage, uh, they'd said, no, no, these are the, this, you can't get backstage. You'll have to go into the, into the audience. So... Myself and Dan thought, oh, okay, never mind. We, we want to watch Happy Metallica. Happy enough to do that, yeah. But we saw Big Mick and went, hey. And, uh, and yes, it, oh, fetch, fetch him out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Come up here, where, you know, in under the canopy where it's uh, safe. And uh, Biffy Clyro were on, weren't they, before Metallica. Uh, and we, I, I think we watched them. And then uh, it was Tenacious D on as well, possibly. Tenacious D. Yeah, uh, exactly it was good. So. Was that... Download. It was download in yeah. 2000 and I want to say 12. It was Something, around that 11 time. and 12. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. And obviously when the big four shows happened at Sonosphere mm. and all over the world, uh, the, the I mean, again, like what a testament to the importance of that one song and how great and impactful mm. and influential that one song Am I Evil was. That was the song that brought all four of those bands together in that moment of celebration and they played it together. Yeah, and that, amazing. That's a that huge, huge it's moment, a, right? It's a huge compliment. It could have, that could have been any number of songs, oh. from Sabbath to Maiden to Priest yep. to whoever, right? hundred uh, percent. And to pick "Am I Evil" was was uh, incredible, really. You know, I was very, very flattered, and uh, uh, um, you know, still am. And and I got to play with them as well when they did uh, Sonosphere in two thousand and eleven. I, I was, you know. 
come and I, I open for the big four. Yeah, and then of course come on I stage there, and play. Yeah, my, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was a special day. You know, that was the only music that day as well, right? Was it just those five bands? Yes, on on that on the Friday main and, stage, and then the main yeah. weekend happened. Yeah. As, There's probably other stages, but yeah, that on that stage we opened the show and Metallica closed. Do you get nervous at uh, a show like that? A or little. Do you take it in your stride. I'm unfortunately not too bad. Uh, I know people do suffer with stage fright, uh, but I don't really. But at a gig th- of that size, I, I more worry about equipment not working. You know, things could go wrong, or uh, me, you know, your lead could could come out of break, or things, little silly things like that, sort of niggle me a bit, and. Sure enough, on the day, I plugged in. I've got an effect unit thing, and I plugged it in. It didn't work. So uh, I had to do without it. Now, I haven't done a gig without that unit for years, so that wobbled me a bit. But, uh, no, it was just brilliant to uh, be involved and invited. And you've played with some amazing bands, even going back to the very, very start of Diamond Head's mm-hmm. career, right? Like mm-hmm. two big ones that took you out early on, if I'm right in thinking so, were I Maiden yep. and ACDC. Yeah, yeah. Both incredible, really. Uh, Maiden weren't that big. I, I, they were playing the Lyceum, and they got uh, Praying Mantis below them, and then Diamond Head opened. Uh, but it was still a big London show for us, and Jeff Barton did a huge piece, which did us, no, you know, no end of good. And uh, it was so it was great to play to you know two thousand people in London. Uh, but the ACDC gigs were, were absolutely incredible because we were huge fans of ACDC. We'd been to see them, you know, many times on Let There Be Rock and then Power Age and then Highway to Hell. And uh, and that run of three albums. Yeah. Is just, wow. It's immense. So you Love toured with them in 79, right? 79. So that, I mean, this is the final stages of Bond's life. It was the last two gigs that, oh, that, really? that Bond ever did. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, January 1980. And then he was dead by... February, oh, wow. yeah, I think tenth of Feb, and uh, yeah, the, wow, amazing gigs because they were sold out. So both in London were they? No, they were right. Newcastle and Southampton. Right, and then I, I was thinking nobody had come to see Diamond Head that that had been sold out for months before Diamond Head were even announced or offered the dates. Uh, but we went down really, really well in front of like three thousand people. So. That gave the the band and our confidence a huge boost because we thought, wow, we can win over an ACDC audience. You know, there must be something about about what we've got because it's probably the biggest crowd we'd played to at that point. We'd we'd probably played club dates around the UK, uh, but to suddenly play to three thousand people in a town like Newcastle we've never played before, and another band's fan base. Oh, hundred uh, percent. And and go down and bomb was wow. You know, this has got potential. It's did got, they did they take care of you as well? Were they yeah. nice? Yeah, Good fantastic. People. Uh, yeah, we'd met them before. I won't tell that story now because it's it's just uh, by the by. But yeah, we met them all and. Um, they were absolutely lovely, uh, signed things for us. And, uh, and and their crew were really, really helpful because ACDC, well, they didn't sound check. A lot of times, apparently, they don't bother sound check. The crew do it. They just play guitars and drums and things. And so we had loads of time to set up. They probably an hour to set up. And, and the crew even came up and helped our drummer tune the kit because you'd say your, your kit's a bit out of tune. You know, don't, I hadn't got a clue, really, how to 
fix that. So he said, I'll do it if you like, and you can get a drink and I'll, I'll tune the kit up, you know. <laughs> and we thought, wow, this is great, isn't it? Uh, and that, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, people look after you like that. We've had gigs where it's like it's a 15-minute changeover, just get your stuff on and get the hell off. You know, uh, it's all too often like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, we even had a gig where we were due to support Gary Moore at the Marquee, so we drove down to the Marquee, sat around for ages while Gary Moore sound checked, and then it's getting close to doors. Ooh, ooh. and a guy came over, okay, uh, and he said, uh, "Sorry, lads, uh, you ain't going to be able to, uh, you know, we, we ain't got time type thing." And we thought, oh. We ain't got time to sound check. Okay, well, let's get the gear on stage. It's, and it, what he meant was, no, we ain't got time. F- you just go home, really. We, you, you, it's over. <laughs> so, so we we had to de- just get back in the van and drive back to the Midlands. So we didn't even get to support Gary Moore. So, and I imagine you didn't get paid either. No, no, no it was just like, <laughs> oh well. That's was, life. Was, was Bon a good guy? As Bon says, it's a long way to the top. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Bond was great. They were all great. Um, very, you know, polite and down to earth. Uh, and we, we, I suppose we just thought, wow, well, perhaps all bands are like that. You know, <laughs> you know naive. That's too. sometimes the problem, isn't it? Is right at the start, if you get treated <laughs> like gold in that early stage, then you do think it's all going to be like this. Yeah. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. But then you realise in hindsight how unique and generous they were. Yeah, and, they were. I mean, I guess because his death was a shock, he didn't seem... Like he was crashing then. He didn't seem like he was uh, no, I, on, uh, on the ropes, as it were. Not to me. I may have, have uh, not picked up on things, but no, I didn't, I didn't spot any, any problems. We were even invited to his uh, flat. You know, we, we were having a party for the end of the tour. And we thought, oh, brilliant, we'll go, you know, got the address. And, of course, he's known to sat-nav, so we, we drove around London, couldn't find it. And, then, and it gave up at maybe, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning and thought, oh, don't know where it is so oh. drove back again to the midlands <laughs> <laughs> oh. there's always open arms waiting for you back here <laughs> unbelievable i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I know it's well documented, so we won't go into the story of how you met Lars at the gig and he stayed with you and all that, but I'd love to just know what he was like at that age. Was it evident that he was driven and ambitious yeah. and he had a bee in his bonnet and he was going to take this thing as far as he could take it? Well, of course, Metallica was never mentioned. He never mentioned, I play the drums. He never said, I'm going to form a band. I am going to write songs. You know, I'm going to be king of the world. He never said that. He just seemed to me like this really, really, yeah, enthusiastic, driven guy. Um... He was a massive fan. He, he loved Motorhead. He was president of the U.S. Motorhead fan club, so I believe. So he'd come over to England to to meet Diamond Air, to hang and 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 probably go and visit Motorhead and things like that. And um, so so, but we really took to him because of his enthusiasm. And no one had ever ca- come over from L.A. before to see Diamond Head. Flown over to. To, 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 in my opinion, solely to see Diamond at the uh, at this gig, and uh, so we took to him. We thought, "Wow, that's great!" You know, this kid—he's only seventeen. And so we looked after him, and he stayed with me for a week, and then he, I think he stayed with someone for about a month, just sleeping on the couch, and um, raiding the fridge and things <laughs> like that. And and while he was up here, what was his favourite snacks? Uh, <laughs> I, I can't remember. I, uh, while he was up, up in the Midlands, I, I remember he um, uh, he went he'd go to like Bullet Records, I think it was a distributor, and he'd buy a load of the Wobbleham albums, uh, anything that was out. Uh, so he seemed to have a lot of money on him, and he, he would just he'd come back with like fifty albums and singles, and we'd sit and listen to them. And uh, he'd come to gigs. We did three gigs where he would jump in the car. There'd be uh, John, who, who used to drive us around, and Sean in the passenger seat, then usually there'd be Colin, Duncan and myself on the back seat. And for these three gigs, Lars would squeeze in. So there'd be four of us on the back seat, all squidged in. Uh, and uh, he came to a few rehearsals and we'd be writing songs um, and he'd be watching all this going on. And he was just... In a, well, we always just thought he was this super fan who'd come over from the States. And It's cool that you were so cool it. to him. Yeah. That's I the nice so. thing about this story. I think he never forgot that hospitality that we, we showed to to him, uh, and and in a way he uh, he he, sh- he gave it back. He he did us a huge favour in return. And the lesson there is, you know, always show respect to people and be courteous because mm. you never know who they're going to end up becoming, right? Absolutely. We had <laughs> and no it pays idea to have friends in high places. Yes, we had no idea. <laughs> I, I, he wrote a letter to me in. Eight, 1982 saying I've got this band called it was that when you first heard the name was yes it? he'd written it down he said it's, it's called Metallica and we rehearse six nights a week and I thought wow that's good that's more than we rehearse yeah. <laughs> uh, and he said you, you'd probably like the guitarist he's pretty fast <laughs> and uh, and that's it I didn't think oh my god you know I just thought that's good Lars has got a band and and then uh, he sent over a cassette uh, and had, reco- had covered, I think had covered it's electric or something. And Sean had the cassette because he, he'd written it back to the fan club address, which was Sean's address. Uh, and he'd sent the cassette back to, to there. So we listened to it and thought, oh, great. You know, 
not should they've covered one of our songs. And then, of course, they covered Am I Evil on the B-side of Creeping Death in 84. Uh, and that it was the first time a band had ever covered a Diamond Head song and released it uh, on vinyl. So we, that was very impressive. But at this point, they're still not that big. They're still yeah. on Music for Nations, which is an indie label. Uh Diamond Head are bigger than them at this point, uh, and we just we're just impressed that Lars's band have gone to so much trouble to copy one of our songs and uh, or cover one of our songs and and the detail, you know, the respect they'd shown, that, you know, every lick of the solo and the lyrics, and it, it, they'd really uh, put a lot of care into the recording. And didn't you guys originally break up around that time? Soon after that. Was it like 84, 85? Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. It was about 84, 85. What was the sort of final nail the first time around that... The reason we stopped... breaks on things. ...was just money, really. We, we'd been dropped by the label in January 84. Then, of course, there's no more money coming in. And we did a tour in 84, but we lost money on the tour, in my opinion, through bad management. And it was, we had too many crew and we would... Sp- we were spending more than we were making kind of thing, the expenditure. I, I think we needed to cut back at that point and sort of regroup, but we didn't. Uh, so once um, once that happened, once, uh, you know, there was no more money, that the, the guys we'd got in the band, by this point it was Robbie, Dave and Josh, uh, they just went back to their back to London or wherever they lived and, and joined other bands and to make a living. That's yep. there. And that's, that's that yeah. hustle of a, yeah. you've got to pay the bills. Yeah. The, the professional musicians. So that left me and Sean back up here in the Midlands. Uh, I'm still living on my savings and I'm living with mom and parents. Sean's living with his mom. Um, and we literally didn't know what to do. Now, Sean had got a contact uh, called Pete Winkleman, who'd been involved with Diamond Dead, but was now trying to do his own label and, and decided to shine Sean as a solo artist. Right. Uh, and in the meantime, I I was using the studio where we'd recorded this last album. Uh, I became like a, a house engineer and started recording some local bands. But we sort of stopped going... I stopped going to Sean's and he stopped phoning me up and... Uh, we kind of just drifted apart. Uh, I just presumed Sean would have a career as a solo artist. And so I just got on with my own band. And yeah, I, I formed a band called Radio Moscow. And uh, I, I had no idea what the future held, you know. It, it, it's a shame that it went like that. It, you know, it, of course, hindsight, we could, have, we could have done it so much better. But that's life. Do you still talk? Not really. I mean, I would, of course, if if we bump into each other, but I'm not going to go around his house. And is he still local as well? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he lives about a mile away, uh, but and he he's ne- he never phones me and never comes to my house. So and you haven't bumped into each other. That's we wild. bumped into each other in in Tesco right. and Starbridge. <laughs> Just a nod in the aisle. No, we, we had a little <laughs> chat, but he wasn't particularly warm uh, or. You know, it was a little bit prickly, I felt. Uh, whereas I'm a nice guy, I'm easy going, and he, he, he seemed a bit, I don't know, odd to me. So nothing nothing came of that moment. 
But I wouldn't want to work with him again. I think it's too way too difficult. Uh, let somebody else get on with that problem. It, it seems as well like right now you've got a good thing going on with the lineup. Yeah, it's great. Good vocalist. Oh, good it's fantastic, team, fantastic. And, and you're making great music, and it seems like a a very healthy second chapter. Yeah, or maybe third chapter. Probably but. third. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, third. Uh, yeah, I think it's a fantastic band, and uh, the more we can do, the better. We're we're um, we get on really well. It's it's very supportive. Um, we've just we've done Lightning to the Nations 2020, and uh, I've been preparing material for the next record, whenever that's going to be. But what you know, whilst in lockdown, I've been uh, writing, and uh, you can't wait to get back out gigging. Really, we all miss it. Uh, I suppose you're used to periods of inactivity uh, in the touring sense, yeah, but because of the breaks. But what have you done over the years? This is really a, a big break. This yeah. is a hell of a break. Our last gig was eighth of March, uh, and like a lot of bands, we're all sort of trying to figure out what to do. But uh, yeah, I have had breaks before. But uh, what were you doing in that time? In those times, uh, it, in previous times, yeah. Uh, well, as I say, I ran a studio for five years, and and I've been in covers bands. Uh, I I figure I just want to play the guitar. So you 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 have managed to keep music as your yeah your livelihood and yes. your life. And I've never gone back to amazing a day job. Great, yes. that's uh, the goal, right? It's I just think so. Yeah. Dodge that forty years. That's I've, good going. I've, I've been a professional that's amazing. musician. Yeah, uh, but even if that means playing in a tribute band or a covers band, I don't mind because as long as I'm playing the guitar, I'm I'm okay because I, I think that's what I do best. So and it keeps the fingers oiled. You you don't want to stop playing for six months. I think you just uh, go downhill. Yeah, and, and you- I think it's really creative as well to uh, to learn lots and lots of new songs. I think it all goes into your your fuel pot. You know. Yeah. I was chatting to a musician yesterday, and he was saying it was uh, Dan Hawkins from the Darkness. Okay, and he was saying they got to a point where all they did was tour, 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 mm-hmm. and they'd play those songs together in the show, but apart from that, they'd never rehearse. And he said, as a band, if you don't rehearse and you don't write and you don't create and jam together, even if you're playing shows every night, you get sloppy yeah. because you're not honing your craft. You're not yep. throwing gas onto that fire of, of the relationship and the spark that keeps you yeah. excited by each other's playing. And he said it's a really dangerous thing for bands to do to not jam and rehearse yes. and write and i think he's dead right yeah we don't get that opportunity very often but it is vital yeah we, we do it when we can we did some rehearsal in in december and january because we had to get the covers uh, sorted for for the uh, bonus tracks uh but we haven't had the opportunity since then and uh it is it's vital yeah you get together in the room uh, I, I mean as i get older the it seems very loud, and I've got in-ear monitors <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. But there used to that be a time sense. when it used to drive me mad, the volume, uh, in, in a, a small room and, and drums crashing away. Uh, I used to think, I'm going to go deaf at this rate, you know. But I've, I, I wisely, I think, invested in in-ears. <laughs> Are you still working with Dave Mustaine? Uh, no. No? No. There was a period when we were going to do an album. Right. That didn't happen. And then there was a period when... He was going to manage the band, yeah, yeah which yeah. was he, he, one of, he was part of a company called Thrashville. That didn't happen either. Uh, what it, what happened in the end was contract came, and uh, 
we got a lawyer to look at the contract and they said, you may want to change this and change that. So we sent it back with a few changes and they said, no, will you either sign it exactly as it is or... Right, so no that deal. was that. So we said, all right, we'll leave it then. So they, they said, well, as of 1st of August 2018, we no longer represent Diamond Ed. Right. So that was the end of that. Does that spoil the personal relationship with Dave? Are you uh, two still all right? Or? I'm, he's a big fan. So I would imagine he's absolutely fine. I haven't spoken to him for ages, but yeah, I don't think he'd suddenly have gone off Diamond Ed. He just—he was just sorry that it didn't work. It didn't happen. Uh, we did a great tour with them in 2005, where we we did 22 dates, and that was in the US. No, Europe. Right. It was one of the best tours I've ever done. It was fantastic. So their fans love you. Yeah, but but also that the Megadeth guys really took care of us and made sure. You know, like I'd say, how long's our set now? And he said, oh, how long do you want to play? You know, do, and do you want to do what, 45 minutes? Do you want to do an hour? It's up to you. <laughs> and like, you, you Again, don't get that's that. rare, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He said, if any, any of your amps break, if anything, you need anything, just let me know and we'll get it sorted. Again. Amazing. <laughs> it's not what you know. And Tony Iommi, was he on the last record? Human he... name dropper. You're... <laughs> um, no, he wasn't on the last record. No. No, but he was on uh, Death and Progress, yeah, which is 93. That I mean, great. That was all, an awesome opportunity to play with uh, Tony Iommi. Um, oh, well, to, to, to write a song with Tony Iommi. And then he came to the studio and recorded guitars and uh, did a solo. So, yeah, that was that was brilliant. That was just, a, you know, a phone call. Would you like to write a song with Tony Iommi? Oh, Yes, please. <laughs> so, okay, well, you, here's his address. Go around his house and uh, see how you get on. And that was the first time you'd connected and met yeah, and spent yeah. any time I together? I think it was the first time I'd met met him, uh, unless I'm mistaken. But, yeah, yeah, fantastic. And um, went to his house in Solihull and uh, gold records on the wall, as they say. Uh, I, I, I thought I'd be out of my depth when I got there, because I thought I bought a cassette with some riffs on, and and uh, he, he he'd listen to them, and he'd go, "Oh, I like that one, I like that one," and then he'd he'd pull out a drawer and it'd be loaded cassettes, and he'd put his cassette on with riffs on, and they didn't sound any better than mine, you know. Uh, and I thought, "Oh, that's great! We just do the same thing. Then we just come up with a riff, tape it, and then when it comes to time to write a song, you get your riff tape out and you have a listen." And so that one's so I'd do the same. Oh, I like that one. And within a few hours, we we melded, you know, some of my riffs with his riffs, and uh, and we had a, a song. <laughs> what an amazing life! Mm. It's so nice to meet someone who's you know hasn't had it handed to them easily, and but still gets great joy and pleasure out out of their craft and uh, and yeah. this music that's obviously afforded you a life. Right? Are you yeah. are you happy and content with? I mean, with your lot, uh, to a degree, it's it's almost human nature to want more, isn't it? And and to 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 keep trying, you know, to to have amb- a little bit of ambition. I'd like the band to be bigger. I'd, there's still places we've never played, like we've never been to South America, we've never been to Australia. Uh, I've still got goals that I, I would like to achieve before you know I get too old, or you know, I I, I worry that you know health issues might stop me. Uh, but yeah, I want to just keep doing it as long as I can. Really, I, I really do enjoy. Uh, 
the band and, and playing and the writing. I think the creative bit where you write a song is is fascinating. So, Do you identify as a heavy metalhead? Is that your um, tribe? Not just or that. Or are you more just a kind of a music guy? Yeah, I'd the board? say music. Uh, obviously, I'm known for metal with the guitar riffs and my legacy will always be that the diamond Dead songs and, and am i evil in particular uh but yeah i do like a lot of of other lighter styles as well uh i don't always want to be listening to you know it's hard and heavy music sometimes i want to chill and listen to something a bit lighter and a bit uh more relaxing but yeah I'm, i think i'm a music fan and have been since i was maybe 12 something like that just a huge fan. I've got an older brother uh, who was a big fan. Uh, uh, he was in the Beatles fan club. And so he'd, we'd listen to albums together. He'd come home with, with say, Hoses of the Holy, for example. And uh, we'd put it on and listen to it together. And uh, I think a lot of that rubbed off on me. And he'd, he'd, he, went, he went to see a lot of bands, classic bands back in the day, uh, uh, so he'd take me occasionally, and and I think he he pretty much got me into the whole thing. Um, and it's I, always so, an older sibling, right? Yeah, I think they it really helps. Way. Yeah, to to give you that start, and to you know, because he could play guitar, and I'd just think, oh, okay. So if I if I want to learn, I can always ask Dave, uh, how'd you play this, Dave? Uh, so that was probably good, really, really good for me. I might have been lost without that older brother. You know, might have. I don't know what to do. You know, some people get into motorbikes, don't they, or fishing or something, uh, or, or just get married and have kids, and, that, you know, that's absolutely fine. But I, I'm really, really glad that I found the guitar and had the patience to learn how to play. What about, as just a final talking point, the Midlands? Because for me, it's such a rich area of, of music history, you know, whether it's The Move or Wizard or ELO, everybody knows about Diamond Head pre-Sabbath and the metal contributions. But, you know, even when you get further out into Coventry and places like that and you had the two-tone movement with the specials and the beat and the selector and UB40, and there's just such an amazing tapestry of, I think, iconic artists that have really changed the world and I often don't feel like Birmingham gets the the credit that it perhaps should mm-hmm. when compared to, obviously, London, but Manchester and Liverpool, people always shout about yeah, yeah. their rich cultural history. But for me, Birmingham has given the world so much. Yes. Like the world. Yes, I, I do agree. Do you feel proud to be in that lineage? Yes, oh, of course. Of course, part of the, the Midlands history of bands, yeah. Yeah, to be just to be considered amongst... Some of the bands you've just mentioned is amazing. Uh, but, you know, Black Sabbath, for me, invented heavy metal. And that, the fact that they're a Birmingham band, it's gr- it is great because it, it didn't come from the US or Sweden or something. It came from Birmingham. And uh, so that that's always been a, a big thing to me. Uh, it's just nice to be part of, of that scene. But Birmingham has produced some amazing bands since the 60s, really. Yeah. And probably still coming up with talent it's funny to me whenever i'm abroad particularly in america well mainly america and they go where are you from i say birmingham they go, oh that's where ozzy's from yeah. huh? <laughs> that's it's like well Aussie. at least you know thanks to Ozzy, he's yeah. like our cultural ambassador yeah. isn't he do you know ozzy <laughs> yeah. we had a guy in america uh, and, and he said to our bass player so where are you guys from and uh eddie said uh, birmingham he goes i'm from birmingham alabama 
<laughs> Different place, mate. Yeah, Different no, place. not that, that one. Not that one. Brian, what a pleasure. Thank you for coming by and having a chat. You're welcome. And uh, nice yeah, to, uh... I'll, I'll get Dean to get me down to one of your shows when shows are a thing again. And yeah. So you do your thing. The last time I saw you would have been at Bloodstock four or five years uh, ago. Right. Would have uh, been. When, he, if... when Dean first joined the band. It was one of his yeah, first 2016 then, four years. Yeah. yeah. We were due to play it this year. I saw, yeah. And it got pushed back to 2021. So we'll be in it next year. Fingers crossed. You take care, mate. Awesome. Thanks Thank for you. coming on the show. <laughs> Cheers. Lovely stuff. Yeah, great. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.